0: Good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, September 29th. My name is Maddie Love and with me in my comfortable living room studio is Hertzy Hertz and Julie Love. This episode we'll be chatting with mortician, author and order of a good death founder, Caitlin Doughty. Caitlin is author of three books, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory, From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death, and Caitlin's newest book, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Big Questions from Tiny Mortals About Death. This is an open conversation about death in many aspects of the dying process. Unfortunately, while we ourselves are alive, the phone lines will be dead, awaiting a promised resurrection next week, as this conversation is pre-recorded. We do have our encouraged listener interaction over on Twitter and the Facebook threads for this episode, and you can always send an email to radio at mnatheist.org. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time out of a busy book promo tour to join us, and perhaps even more importantly to folks here in Minnesota, thank you for being a Prince fan.
1: Yeah, well, I can't, I couldn't say no to Minnesota. <laughs> I would never.
0: <laughs> so Caitlin, this is your third book on death. You founded an organization where death acceptance is a central element, and you're a longtime veteran of activist work around death acceptance and reform of funerary practices. What is it about death that keeps your passion so alive?
1: I think because death involves all of the other categories. It involves literature, history. it involves science, it involves psychology, it involves anthropology, it involves culture and politics. It's all the things wrapped up in one interesting package that happens to also happens to be morbid and macabre, which are two other things I like. So I really never run out of things and cultural issues to be interested in. And frankly, we have so much work to do that there's no end goal either. So I can just keep doing this work forever. Hopefully not forever, but <laughs> probably still, until I die.
0: <laughs> so this book, uh, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs, it has 35 questions from kids. Why did you choose questions from kids?
1: Well, because kids are blunt. They are not afraid to hold back. And they ask questions in, I think, a slightly more interesting way. Adults, I mean, listen, I love talking about atheism. I love talking about the soul or lack of soul. I love these headier conversations. But we have those conversations as adults without ever really having examined the basics as a child, most of us. So we may talk about our soul, but we've never really talked about what just plain happens to the body and what death actually looks like or feels like or what happens to your body? And those are kind of the questions that I wanted to go back and remedy our lack of knowledge around.
2: I find those questions to be far more interesting than you know, do we have a soul? <laughs> and that was probably before I mean, it was. It. That was probably before I was an atheist too. That I had that.
1: Yeah, I, and then frankly, these are the questions that I am more interested in. You know, I love. I, I will talk about, for example, alkaline hydrolysis legislation until the cows come home, but when you really get down to it, I also just love what happens to the dead body and why things happen to the dead body and the basic science and cultural reaction we have to the dead body.
0: So wondering, do you think adults have a any like better grasp on death than kids do?
1: No, no, <laughs> especially not in our culture. I think adults probably get further away because at least as a child, you have your, childlike, open, curious proximity to death, whereas adults, we've already become entrenched in our idea of death, we've become entrenched in our fears of death, we've become entrenched in the desire not to have a conversation about death, and that puts us behind kids as far as our, you know, because death, you're never going to solve it all you're going to be able to do is be willing to have the conversation and figure out for yourself what your deaf fears are and how to tackle them head-on. And that's a lot easier to do when you have a foundation of honesty around it.
0: Yeah, I feel I did spend just a couple years doing uh, autopsy pro-section here in Minnesota. and Oh, I fellow deaf... I it was, to be honest, if it was a part-time job, if they could have guaranteed me more hours, which I realize we can't do that because, you know, <laughs> <Sorry>. reasons. <laughs> but I ended up having to leave it just because I didn't get enough hours. I loved, absolutely loved the job. Um, but I felt like people, I would be around people that seemed to like be purposefully, willfully and purposely ig- ignorant about not wanting to learn or understand or anything else about death. Have you seen that kind of the same thing?
1: I guess. Do you mean your, your coworkers or do you mean who I mean, are you
0: talking about? I mean, everybody in general that if they would ever talk about anything, like, A, it's not a job I could talk to many people about beyond just like, no, CSI isn't real. That's not what happens. Um, but just about the death process, period. Just like whether it be coworkers, not coworkers in the morgue, but coworkers in the hospital I was in.
1: Um. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I, I think I've been lucky and I don't really know what it is about me. Maybe it's my dogged insistence that this is the right conversation to be having. But I rarely get anybody, I rarely get a feeling of judgment. I rarely get much beyond, wait, what do you mean? Tell me more. <laughs> and, you know, maybe there's autopsies are a little more threatening and visceral to some people, although a lot of people don't know the difference between what a forensic pathologist does and what a mortician does. Um, But the people who do know might find what you did more threatening. I'm not exactly sure, but I think that I've been lucky in that I just don't take, it's not like I'll just keep talking even if you don't want me to talk about death, but I also (laughs) don't apologize at all for what I do. And I think it's far more morbid to live in denial about our essential mortality and our essential, you know, flesh sackness that we exist in. And if we don't have that conversation, then we're not doing it right as humans. And I believe that so strongly that maybe my intensity of faith carries through and allows people to have the conversation with me. I'm not sure.
0: Well, and kind of speaking to that, in the, one of the opening why the very opening section of your book. You, you speak for a moment about death illiteracy. And I guess, can you speak for a bit on like why you think that's an important topic to address?
1: Well, I think it's the existential angle, right? First, the idea of what does death mean, how you can feel. There's a lot of people who feel pretty profound depression and anxiety around fear of death. But then there's also a much more practical aspect to it, which is, If you do not know basic death literacy, if you do not know what a direct cremation is, if you do not know that it's perfectly fine to say, I don't want to embalm mom, if you don't know these basic things, you end up paying thousands upon thousands more dollars when you end up at the funeral home. And that's pretty unacceptable. It was
2: actually listening to you that got me to go start researching funeral homes in the Twin Cities and trying to figure out which one would give the best deal. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yes, and I've, I've I've found the one that I like the most. It's also one that you know they're very upfront about. Oh yes, we are not part of any corporation. They're kind of on their own. It's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: that's wonderful. And you know, like I am not against. Like I should be clear, I'm not against people spending money at the time of death. You know, if you want to have a huge party for mom. If you want to have like a massive cheese plate that's also like a fondue fountain, you know, get it. If you want to buy her the most an eight thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar casket because you think it is a temple of love and you absolutely want it, by all means. Like people buy stupid all the time. Sorry, stupid things all the time. We'll that out. But or or overpay for things. But we have to keep in mind that Most people, I believe it's four out of ten people, cannot afford an emergency purchase of $400 because of the way, you know, because we live under late capitalism. So most people can't do that. And with that, that means that the unexpected death that you were talking about can bankrupt families. It can lead them to do GoFundMe for their father after he dies. And that shouldn't be the way that we have death in our country. We should be able to seek government assistance. And most other countries do. It's really the United States that's just like you're on your own when someone dies. So these conversations about how do we get help, how do we get financial help, how do we know who the lowest cost funeral home is, it's not a bunch of us cheapskates zipping around trying to find the best deal. It's really connected to social justice. It's connected to what, how we treat our most vulnerable citizens at the worst time of their life. And so there's a lot of political ramifications to also finding out exactly what you
0: found out by doing that research. So did you see the episode of Adam Ruins Every... I don't even know if you watched the show, but there was a, sh- a show called Adam Ruins Everything. Um, he did an episode on death and funer- funerary practices and whatnot, and basically exposing some of the... I, I, corruption isn't the right word, but... Corporatism. No.
1: Right word. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I thought it was really, because like at the time, I thought, oh, I, you know, I worked as, I worked, I performed autopsies for a while. I mean, I assisted the pathologist. I, I did the cutting and whatever, but I'm still assisting. I wasn't, a, I'm not a pathologist. Um, I was like, oh, I, I know all about this. And it's like, oh, Dunning Kruger effect. <laughs> I, I actually don't. All Right. Well, first of all,
1: I'm going to blow your mind. I was
0: in that episode. <gasps> I was. Oh, my gosh. Person. I forgot that. Yeah. I was in there.
1: Secret, secret. Um, and I actually helped consult on a lot of that episode and I think they did a really great job and they do their research and they laid it out. And, you know, I, is it more corrupt than any other corporate industry? Maybe not, but it's hard to not see it as more corrupt because it people at the time they most want to not be taken advantage of. And
2: they would- want
1: to just have time in their life where
2: they're not taken advantage of and we're not offering and i would add that it's it's an easy time for those who are who are corrupt and who are you know are going to try and take advantage it's an easy time to
0: get. please stay with us to the break hertzie and julie and i will return to atheist talk with our guest author and mortician caitlin dowdy you're listening to am 950 ktnf the progressive voice of minnesota Welcome back to AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice in Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Maddie Love, joined in studio by my co host Hersey Hertz, and Julie Love. And in just a moment, we'll return to our guest, mortician and author, Caitlin Dowdy about her newest book, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Big Questions from Tiny Mortals About Death. I know you just finished listening to commercials, but I wanted to give my weekly thank you to both Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurant in Adina for their support of Atheist Talk. We are grateful for the support Atheist Talk receives from Cucumber's Restaurant in Adina. Their buffet is extraordinary, staff-friendly, and the atmosphere perfect for large groups, families, or even tiny mortals interested in what happens to bodies after death. If you'd like to join with us and advertise on this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. And now, back to Caitlin. It sounds like that goes back to the whole idea of death illiteracy and if we if we talked about this more and we understood it more we'd be more comfortable with it so we'd be in a better place when the time comes because the time's going to come
1: and a lot of you know it's hard especially for someone like me who's a deaf educator for the public it's hard to translate why say economic protectionism laws in the funeral industry are exciting or these laws called ready to embalm laws why you should care you know it's hard to get people to care about these things until they're the ones in front of the
0: funeral director. So thinking about the book again, um, I'm reading, I'm reading once again, I'm looking at the, the table of contents with all the chapter, chapters and all the questions. And I'm assuming you had far more questions to sift through than you did room that like you were given by a publisher. <laughs> did you ever right. process for like curating these questions on like which ones you pick Like, Why did you choose, if I died making a stupid face, would it be stuck like that forever versus, I I don't know. There's so many questions (laughs) a kid might think of.
1: Well, the stupid face one is just charming, I think, and very obviously from a child. Um, But the first round of questions I got from events that I did, so I traveled for the first two books and lecture, and sometimes people bring their children. And the title, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeball, came from a young boy in Australia. Who asked that question and when i heard it i was just like oh that's genius i love the way that's framed i love the way he's thinking about that and so that was the initial question that sparked my interest and then after i ran out of those questions i made a video called send me your children and parents sent in questions from their very adorable children usually in video form and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, we did have way more questions than we knew what to do with. And a lot of the questions, you know, maybe would have a shorter answer than would work in the book or would have an answer that was too complicated or too situation-based to work in the book. Um, but or, or, frankly, too much about things above my pay grade, like where your soul is going. Um, I tried to keep it pretty grounded in reality. And the reality of the dead body, and when I was choosing. So, these are the ones that, given all
2: that, made the cut. So, since we're gra- talking about questions in the book, I-, I have to bring up one that I saw. I think it was on the Amazon review. And we are from, you know, we're on, in Minnesota, so we have a lot of Vikings, and I'm not talking about the um, ba- or football team. I almost said baseball. Eesh. Same difference. Yeah, it's a team of sports. Hey, ball. Yeah. Sports. Um, can I have a Viking funeral, like, on a pyre or or shot or, like, pushed off into Lake Superior.
1: (laughs) Right. I have some bad news for you. Aww. The fact is... I know, I know, I know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The fact is is that, first of all, the Vikings didn't actually do that. Um, Of Vikings making boats out of stone and cremating people that way. Um, There's evidence that people pulling the boats on land and potentially burying the whole boat called a ship burial, both of which are very cool, but neither one is the boat on the open water, you know, flaming arrow, the whole thing. And the reason that that doesn't work is because to actually cremate a body, you need many, many cubic feet of wood to do so. It's a long process. It's probably about one and a half to two and a half hours constantly feeding in new wood to cremate an entire body. So if you're just out there on a canoe or on a longboat, that boat is going to burn up way faster than the body itself. So you burn up the boat, and then you just have a half-charred body bobbing around the waterway. Um, so it's not not quite the romantic, complete consumption of the body in flames that you might think it would be.
2: But what about the funeral pyre?
1: <laughs> Can we do yeah, that definitely. legally? Yeah. Well, not legally. Um, it depends on who you are. There's an amazing place in a town called Crestone, Colorado. That is the only open air funeral pyre really in the Western world right now. And the group that was able to do it is just the Crestone end of life project is just incredible. You should look them up. If, if any of your listeners are interested I and I am. they have an it for their community and it's, I was able to go and visit and watch a cremation and it was, I, I have performed, I guess, probably thousands of cremations at this point, but I have never seen it done outside of a cremation machine, and it was beautiful, and the ritual was just stunning, and um, I really think it should be legal in far more places.
0: Why do you suppose it's not legal? Is, it, is there any kind of just, like, that's not our social norm, and there's no, like, political will to, like, get that done from anybody who has power? Or, I I guess, yeah.
1: I mean, first of all, the industry has a lot of power. The funeral industry has a lot of power. And it's in their best interest to not uh, support something like that, to support that kind of change, because it's the exact opposite of the embalming and casket that they would like to preserve, that style of funeral. Um, And secondly, yeah, it is a lot about social norms or what we believe to be our social norms. Um, So, you know, sort of like basically saying, You know, in America, we do this. Okay, well, you know, the native or indigenous population didn't do that. Um, The Hindus who now live here and are also immigrants didn't do that. They have open-air hires. Why can't we expand our definition to as long as it's regulated, whatever it is? Because it should be regulated. We shouldn't allow bodies to pile up. It should be governmentally, there should be oversight on these practices. But it should also be equal in Who gets to decide what the practices are? Because right now we're being incredibly unfair to other cultures, um, immigrant cultures, people with new green technology or new ideas about death. We're shutting all of them out in favor of this very narrow traditional idea we have of what a funeral is.
2: Yeah, wasn't it a few years ago that they had something about um, composting? Full body composting?
1: that was just legalized in Washington state. So that's an incredible success story is my, my colleague, Katrina Fade, was able to legalize human composting in Washington state. And many of us, you know, I'd like to be able to say that I knew she would do it right away from the very beginning. I didn't. I think that I thought that it was basically impossible. But through incredible people and activists and hard work, they did it. And it's really a model of what we can see in other states
0: as well. And outside of you, I think the only other author I've read on the subject of death was Mary Roach, who wrote the book Stiff. And I mm-hmm. remember seeing something in there, and this book was written like probably five, ten years ago at, at this point, but about cryogenically... Long- say that again?
1: I think longer than that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an older book. The cryogenically mm-hmm. freezing you and then using an ultrasonic pulse to basically shatter you. And then... bury you in front of a tree like now your fertilizer kind of like composting but less space maybe or less rotting (laughs) vegetarian less rotting matter
2: when you started with the cryogenics i got worried oh no no
0: no (laughs) we'll return to our guest caitlin dowdy right after this short commercial break i'm maddie love in studio with Hertzy Hertz and julie love you're listening to atheist talk on ktnf am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM950 KTNF. I'm your host Maddie Love in studio with Hertzie Hertz and Julie Love. We are chatting with author and mortician Caitlin Doughty. If you'd like to chat with us this morning, you can email us at radio at mnatheist.org, find the thread over on Facebook, or tweet us at Atheist Talk. Before we return to our guest, I wanted to thank our dedicated group of volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast. If you're able to help with the donation, please consider doing so at our Radio Fund page or our Patreon where you can get extended interviews and early access to pre-recorded conversations, such as this one, over at patreon.com slash atheist talk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization, and we couldn't do the show without you, and we do deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael Davids, and is used with permission. Please note all opinions are of the guests and hosts only, and do not necessarily reflect the Minnesota Atheist organization. And with that mischief managed, let's get back to Caitlin Doughty, author of Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs?, Big questions from tiny mortals about death. Freezing you and then using an ultrasonic pulse to basically shatter you. And then right. bury you in front of a tree, like now your fertilizer. Kind of like composting, but less space, maybe, or less rotting veg- veg- vegetarian <laughs> or less rotting matter.
2: When you started with the right. cryogenics, I got worried. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> well,
1: first of all, the, the composting we're talking about, um, recomposition is the name for it. It's very well, it's wood chips and some other source of, of, I mean, and humans obviously as a source. And it's very, you know, it's not like you're literally in with banana peels. This is just you, like alfalfa and, and wood chips, and, and being very quickly taken down to your natural elements or your, you know,
0: you literally
1: become something else, you become the soil. And for a lot of people, that's that's immortality, that's beauty. And as far as the one in the Mary Roach book, that's called Permission. And that is designed by a Swedish designer who's still working on it. She's still trying to um, make it work. It hasn't, hasn't, um, basically, it has not been legalized anywhere yet, nor has it been proven to work in a public forum yet. But people are still excited about it, and I think they should be. Because if it it does work, then great. Another
0: wonderful, greener option for books. I'm very excited about it. (laughs) So how how many of the questions in this book did you already have some or most of the required knowledge on? Like, how many did you have to spend a lot of time researching? And how many did you kind of pretty much have a good idea just off the top of your head? Oh,
1: that's a great question. Um, Probably, I would say um, 75% a pretty solid knowledge of already Um, but I still had to do the research to really drive home the points that I wanted to do and add historical aspects and add scientific aspects to it Um, and then there were some that I was like you know I really don't know so I guess it's my job to find the answer to this one would be um, what would happen to an astronaut body in space that was probably the hardest scientifically to research for me Um, another one is why do bugs eat our flesh, but not our bones after we die? Um, and then did mummies smell when they're unwrapped is another one that I didn't tell. So I had, I had some sense of the answers to these questions, but I didn't really know. And it sent me down many rabbit holes. And, uh, you know, I did it. We figured it out. It's in there.
2: Which was your favorite rabbit hole of, of new information that you got to discover? we will find for this
1: you know i was thinking today i think that the hmm, oh you know another one actually this is relevant to minnesota um that i didn't know that much about to be honest is what happens to bodies when the ground is too frozen to bury them because i grew up in hawaii and i've spent my whole career in california so this is just not a problem for me (laughs) In my, in my work, whereas if you're a funeral director in you know, far north Minnesota or anywhere um, you know, on, along the Canadian border, it's a thing that you have to think about because it really, the ground is not yielding. And getting into that rabbit hole and reading blog posts from funeral directors about what they do and talking to funeral directors and talking to experts on these things called basically dead houses, which were used to house the dead through the winter, right there in the cemetery, until the ground could be broken. And the newfangled technology they use now, like warming up the ground and sort of a looks like a, they're doing a fish fry or something right in the middle of the cemetery. But they're warm. They're making the ground toasty so they can dig into it. Um, big, big claws, big back hose. Um, This is all things that I have just never personally had to deal with. So that was an interesting rabbit hole. For me.
0: I used to. My last job was at a, at a Catholic hospital across from a Catholic cemetery, and we'd look out the lab windows and you'd see them defrosting the ground in in January so they could so they could bury somebody.
1: Yeah, see, that's normal for you. I've never seen it. So I mean, I, I had I, again, I had a basic idea, but as far as the actual tools that they used and how they went about it and how they made those decisions, I didn't know.
0: You know, until I read this. No. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Now I do. Okay. Um, I thought the way you, you handled you mentioned you're an atheist, and to be honest, that's I, I I didn't even realize that prior to reading this book. Um I thought the way you handled the part about uh, near death experience, the chapter on uh, Is it true people see a white light as they're dying? I thought you handled that really well and in a really ecumenical way that it wasn't like you know, bashing on folks. I mean, this is atheist talk. We we poke fun at religion. Quite frequently on this show, yep. but I thought you did a really nice job on on you know walking that line on being completely honest and, and not trading on anybody's sensibilities.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's that's often what I try to do with religion, and I'm I'm completely honest. If somebody asks me, what do I think happens when I die? Um, I mean, I'm probably identifying more as agnostic because I just I I don't I, I don't have the uh, the belief that's strong enough in any area, but my, my pretty strong thought is that it, nothing happens, that it the, it's like the, um, the film reel flapping at the end of a movie. It's just the white flapping with nothing there. And you go back to what you were before you were born, which is no consciousness at all. And so I'm completely open with that when anybody asks me, but I also am a funeral director and I own a funeral home and I deal with a lot of different religions and different families. And sometimes religion can be really helpful if you truly believe that there's a place that someone is going. Um, and I also, it's just my job to honor that and to make sure that everybody knows that they can ask me questions without my particular judgments.
0: No, and I also, um, I love the image that you gave me of Centaur Jesus riding a chariot coming to pick me up for my descent into death. <laughs> I, yeah. I adore that.
1: <laughs> For the atheists in the audience, there's also a little something there for you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and now I know what I want to cosplay next. <laughs>
1: well, if you do that, please send me photos. I'm not even sure how I would do that.
0: Oh, I can help you. I mean, this is radio, so I can't actually describe what I'm thinking, but I can tell you off we'll talk. my off we'll talk. Um <laughs> So this is a book featuring questions submitted by kids. But do you think of, the, of this as a book Four kids.
1: It can be, especially if you have precocious kids. Um, if you have kids who are, let's say, ten and up, who are big readers, who are really curious, who are comfortable with sciencey things, then yeah, and you're and you're a cool parent who isn't, um, you know, is open to these harder conversations. Then by all means, I think your your child can read it. But I also really conceive of the book as questions from children, but answered for adults, but in a tone, a tone that's not, you know, hi, kids, I'm young and condescending, <laughs> but that re- basically treats the inner child in every adult with respect and the actual child who may be reading it with respect. Um, because I want, if you were a child who had questions about death and the adults in your life told you, oh, that's morbid, sweetie, that's weird. That's wrong. I want you to be <laughs> slightly healed by this and to, to understand that you're part of a community that is curious about this and is fascinated about this and and you're not alone. And, yeah, I, I think it's mainly for adults, but, um, yeah, if you got a smart kid in your life, sign him up.
0: So maybe not on the third-grader's library shelf, but maybe on the middle school library no. shelf.
1: No. And, you know, I... Maybe someday I'll do that. Maybe I'll go go younger. And there are specific people who, who do that and are, are fantastic. But, um, you know, but the thing is, is that the answers that I give in the book, I would absolutely feel comfortable sharing with a younger child. Um, it's just the reading level that maybe is not there. So, you know, I, it, it's a, if you were, say, seven, this might not be a book that you easily can read. Um, but I wouldn't hide any of the information for you if you asked me the question and you're that age. So, um, I'm going to take a
2: slight left turn if that's all right, Maddie. Um, you mentioned that there's a community there and you are the founder of the order of a good death. Could you, mm-hmm. for people who aren't familiar with this, um, this idea and this
1: group, could you describe it real quick? Sure, the Order of the Good Death is a nonprofit, and its basic idea is to show you that there are so many more options for your death than you maybe realized. There's so many more green options, so many more family involved options, lower cost options, and that the world of death is wider and more exciting than maybe you had been thinking. And we introduced a concept called death positivity. And what death positivity is, is basically living out those principles. I was just talking about open conversation around death, all these new options, um, not being afraid to have the conversation. And uh, it doesn't mean that when your mom dies, you're supposed to be positive about it. It just means it's okay to be curious and it's okay to be grappling with your mortality in an open and honest way.
2: Awesome. By the way, I... Of a way that if you wanted to do that children's book, you you could kind of do it Edgar Edward Gorey style, where it's like Mm. in the style of a kid's book, but it's really not for kids. Yeah,
1: really for kids, (laughs) it would always be a little subversive. Um, but I I, someone someone mentioned recently that I should do one called like How Grandma's Decomposing, (laughs) (laughs) like tracking Grandma's first two weeks in the grave. which, you know, probably won't get the green light, but I like it. I will I read, read,
0: that read that book. book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, one of my favorite, like, not kids books, but written like it's for kids, is Gary Larson's There's a Hair in My Dirt. Oh. It's it's oh, beautiful. That... Yeah. It right. starts out with this, you know, lovely story of this woman traipsing through the woods. And it turns out that the worms are eating her decomposing flesh. <laughs> while well, the soil that she's, that she's rotting into. Um,
2: I was going to say Shel Silverstein's ABCs.
0: I haven't read that
1: one. It is not for kids. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a royal doll, also not for kids. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned in an early chapter that you, about having some unfounded fears around corpses when you began first working in a funeral home. How long did it take you to get past those? Please stay with us through the break. Hertsy, Julie, and I will return to Atheist Talk with our guest, Caitlin Dowdy. You're listening to AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to AM nine fifty KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk. I'm your host Maddie Love in my living room studio with Hertzie Hertz and Julie Love. We're happy to be joined by mortician and author Caitlin Dowdy, author of "Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs?" Big questions from tiny mortals about death. You had mentioned in an early chapter that you about having some unfounded fears around corpses when you began first working in a funeral home. How long did it take you to get past those?
1: I think I've never really lost my awe of dead bodies. Even after all this time, I still find them incredibly magical, strangely enough. Um, There's an awe in the room when I come in, and sometimes I have to use spiritual language for it, even though I'm not a spiritual person, because it's that impressive to be with the dead and, and to see what happens to the family when they're with the dead. But I really quickly lost my fear that the bodies were malevolent in some way. This, this old, old fear of, I don't even know, zombie movies, horror movies, the idea that one was going to reach up and grab my hand and um, have some ill will toward me, that went away pretty quickly because you see that dead bodies are, number one, very dead, and number two, not out to get you in their deadness.
0: No, I was never chased uh in the autopsy suite by anybody. So No
1: You weren't.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm an accountant, so uh the I've not run into <laughs> dead bodies. I mean the occasional funeral, but that's about it.
0: Yeah, you stir around people that cash out. Oh.
2: Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so of all the questions and I know this you've answered a lot of questions in your career, is there Anyone that sticks out is catching you the most off guard. Like, wow, I hadn't even considered that before.
1: Hmm. Um. I've found some interesting questions on this tour. Someone the other night was talking about their sister wanting to be cremated and thrown into a pot of whales. But not just like scattered her ashes into a pot of whales. She wanted like balls of ash thrown at the whales oh my God. and I was like ma'am I think the marine mammal protection act is going to prevent us from doing that for your your friend you can just you know scatter amongst them but I really think that uh we should leave the whales alone but she did not want to take no for an answer which is a strange hill to die on but you know that's just the strangest question this week so that there you
2: go. that definitely yeah. uh tops my parents who want to be made into a bench Let's well, think.
0: I think that's beautiful, though. I
2: think that's also cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to figure out how.
0: We can talk afterwards. I okay. can. Yeah. It's not that difficult. Okay. I mean, you won't get a whole bench out of their ashes, just so you know.
1: You get a fair amount of ash. You get a fair amount of ash, but you know, there's also a lot of bench and bench. Yeah, but true. I think it could, you know, a large portion, parent.
0: So this is we t- mentioned. This is we only have you for a couple more minutes, and we had mentioned that you have three books. Um, What are your first two books about, other than obvious death?
1: Oh, yeah, death is the answer. Um, The first book, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, is more of a memoir. It's about the first year, when I was 23 years old, that I took a job as a crematory operator in Oakland, California. And that was really my death awakening, my awakening to all the things that were happening behind the scenes in a funeral home. And then the second book is called From Here to Eternity. And that's by the time I had already opened a funeral home of my own and I was going around the world looking at different death cultures and how we can learn in the United States to be more open minded and be more culturally relative when we look at what other cultures do with their dead. And yeah, that's them. Those are the first two. And then then this one is will my cat eat my eyeballs. So I took a very, you know, strange turn, but who knows where we go from
0: here I don't know I kind of feel like this is in the same vein because it's the first two oh, are yeah. very like informative, and this one you know it is as well, but it's it's just broken up and like you could grab and just read like one chapter and and be good right. and until the next mm-hmm. day like you don't have to read it through an order or anything
3: and humor absolutely
1: is the... if it, humor if is someone it in. Her bathroom, I would
3: not be offended. <laughs> Humor is the best way to deal with uncomfortable subjects, so.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: All right, well, we are out of time. I have a feeling I could probably chat with you for, like, another, like, two hours if you didn't Minimum. have a book tour to do and things, and we didn't have, like, a, a hard limit on how long they'll let us be on the air. Um.
1: Well, we can sketch out our centaur outfit. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll do that. We'll do that another time.
0: Oh, she was just horsing around. Well, halfway. No? Okay. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I, yeah, don't yeah,
2: put I got me it. up on the cross.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. And we. I hope everybody goes out and picks up this book, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Big questions from tiny immortals about death. And uh, with that, we will let you go. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Minnesota. I love you. <laughs> thank you.
0: Bye-bye now. Okay.
2: Let's talk about death because that's what we're here for. And yes, Julie, putting you on the spot.
3: The the, the silent partner spoke afterwards, which is what I see. Which the, is why we decided we had to report afterwards. To do is my burning question for her was so, how does one come into this line of work anyway? Growing up in said small rural Nebraska, it all seemed to be a very uh, family oriented. <laughs> thing, um, which maybe in very small towns it still is, but listening to her understanding that it's probably just part of corporate America greed. Um I still well, me gonna- me being the ever sciencey, ever morbid, ever curious looking for a way to do something useful by not having to deal with people.
0: It depends on what part of the job that she wants to do. I was
2: going to say, even the crematorium operator well, can still have to deal with people. <laughs> they say at the same time, what you might. Now, this. Because I've. Again, big fan of Caitlin. Um, she has talked about how most of the time, like 99% of the time, she's alone with the bodies when she was doing the crematorium work, which was her first job. Um, however, there is the occasional where the family does go. Well, uh, so yeah. you do have to deal with
3: the potential grieving family members that's fine that i can that i can actually handle i seem to be able to do well with others grief because i don't grieve so you know it's all good
2: um if you're so i would say if you wanted to get into it definitely start excuse me start by going to a big city (laughs) because then there's more people
0: we're here we're in a big city
2: Great. So we're halfway there.
0: <laughs> Living on a... No, never mind. You're not a Bon Jovi fan.
2: Heck, no, I like Bon Jovi.
0: Halfway, never mind. Just go on. Okay, I'm sorry. You. Move to a big city. We're, we're halfway do... there.
2: <laughs> Living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: there we go. Um, what are you praying to? This
0: is atheist talk. I pray exactly. to Satan. Yeah. yeah. Directly. I, I, He's a real person.
2: Uh, she, By the way, Caitlin did a 50-page thesis that I will probably ask for a copy of about witches and Satan because her first degree was in medieval studies and the witch trials.
0: You know, I thought that after reading this book that I loved this person already.
2: Mm-hmm. <sighs> it gets I, better. Yeah.
0: You know, <laughs> this is, this, this, I probably won't cut because only patrons are going to hear it. Why don't we reach out to her while she's, you know, traveling to come talk to a public spot? I don't know. I wonder if her on honor, honor- Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk. We'd love for you to join us again next Sunday. And remember, if you miss an episode live, you can always catch the podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheists, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. The show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, and donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at mnatheist.org or Patreon. This has been Atheist Talk on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota.